Are you curious on how much your business is worth? Get your free no obligation offer from Open Store at open.store. The subscription market is predicted to grow to nearly $500 billion by 2025. Recharge is a leading subscription management solution helping e-commerce merchants of all sizes launch and scale their subscription offerings. Over 15,000 merchants use subscriptions powered by Recharge to grow their business and their communities by increasing average order value, reducing churn, and providing predictable recurring revenue. Turn transactions into long-term customer relationships and experience seamless subscription commerce with Recharge. Check them out at rechargepayments.com forward slash DTC pod. Um, so what's up D2C pod? Uh, today we're joined by uh, Kata Burke-Williams, the founder of Aspen Apothecary. So um, Kata, why don't you kick us off? Tell us a little bit about what you're working on with Aspen. Um, I'm excited to be here. I really like what you guys are doing and love uh, listening in. So it's cool to be on the flip side. Um, But Aspen Apothecary is essentially a non-toxic fragrance house. So we create uh, scents like perfumes and in the future candles and diffusers. And we're all about um, this idea that scent is a great mechanism for self-care. And we're focused on amplifying you as you are. So all of our products kind of have that in mind. We're very early on um, and we have lots to, to do in the future. So I'm excited. Yeah, that's one thing we're really excited to to have you on for this episode for because, um, you know, in terms of like starting and launching a business, you guys are definitely at the earlier stage. And so all those ideas in terms of like company ideation and like what it actually takes to start and launch a company are definitely going to be really um, fresh in, in your mind. So really excited to kind of unpack some of that. So before we get too far into um, Aspen Apothecary and what you're building there, why don't you give us a little background about, um, you know, where where you were kind of working before and your experience that kind of led you into what you're building now? Sure. Um, I'm originally from Dayton, Ohio. Um, so shout out to the Midwest. Uh, went to Dartmouth College in the middle of nowhere, studied Portuguese and religion. So really nothing to do with what I do now. Um, and then after graduation, I went to work at the food giant Kraft Heinz. And I was in a sales rotational program there. So did everything from, you know, a lot of analysis to actually managing a grocery store customer and $25 million worth of uh, food stuff that was running through the register every year and um, did that for a bit until a manager of mine from Kraft Heinz offered me a job uh, in Miami. And he said, why don't you come work for Carnival Cruise Line? And I've never been on a cruise before, um, but I was like, I'm all about the people that I, I work with. And so I said, let me, you know, give this a shot. Went to do some interviews and moved to Miami um, where I was at Carnival for two and a half years doing general management, um, resuscitating business units that were struggling and growing ones that were were exciting new places to be. And I did that until uh, business school. So really cool. Um, definitely want to unpack a little bit more about both of those roles. So um, in you said in your first job, you were working kind of in, in Kraft Heinz, you were overseeing a whole bunch of different um, you know, products in the food space. So just before we get too far into it, like what, um, is there any reason that you, you didn't want to go in and launch a, a food business or CPG business, or is it was just Aspen something that, you know, you were always about? I think one, I saw that the grocery, um, industry is pretty hard if you have packaged goods. 
Um, and I think while I was passionate about being able to see my work on the shelf, I wasn't particularly passionate about like Kraft Mac and cheese. And so um, I was excited when I had this idea for Aspen Apothecary because I really loved the idea of like your work byproduct being able to be like touched and felt. So I love this idea of like a tangible good. Um, and I realized that a lot of the experiences I had at Kraft Heinz in terms of understanding when it's a good time to be in a large retailer and understanding kind of what that takes, a lot of those skills I can take with me um, and leverage into the strategy that I'm building for the company now. So that being said, I assume, you know, you always started with direct to consumer being in mind or giving your retail experience, um, you know, because you can do retail at a micro level, right? In the sense of, you know, um, like, uh, what's it called? Like, you can go, you can go set up a booth uh, at a small event in your community um, and sell like that. And you can smell to local boutiques and stuff like that. Or you can go the DDC route. So which one of those did, did you go given, you know, the volume, the processing, the supply chain and seeing that from craft? I think the answer is both. Uh, so I would call us like a digit. Hmm. What would I call it? Digitally enabled brand or digitally native brand, I guess, just because um, we don't have a storefront and I don't plan on having a storefront, at least for the next few years in the future. Um, but I know that retail is an important channel because people get to touch and feel and experience your product, especially with something like scent that, you know, I can describe it all I want. Um, but you, I can't tell you exactly how you're going to experience the scent. And so it's important for us that we find ourselves in some retail locations. So for the first um, kind of run that we did, which was I would call it a proof of concept run, we had about half of our sales through um our direct website and the other half came through wholesale kind of small boutiques, upscale pop-ups who actually reached out to us. And that was really helpful to kind of confirm that the kind of customer and consumer that we thought would enjoy the product was indeed the the one who was picking it up and, and walking out with it. So how did that, and I don't, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here, but you know, how did that influence, I guess, the, the channels that you've decided to go after um, today in terms of go to market, you know, did you see one, you know, do you have a favorite of either of these channels and, or have you said, look, we're going to continue down the, down the route of continuing to grow both at the same time? Yeah, I think we're going to continue to grow both at the same time. Um, and for a couple of reasons, um, on the one hand, being able to sell directly to the consumer, we can own more of the information, um, learn maybe more about them, um, and it could be cheaper, right, to, to get our product to them. And we have more control over the whole experience that they receive from the packaging to, you know, the shipping time to the emails they get, all of that, um, which is great. But um, on the other hand, um, I think we learned from the boutiques that it was we had some really important learnings um, from speaking to the shop managers about what kind of questions people ask that they might not ask us through our website. Right. And also when we think about how we're going to grow um, wholesale is an important piece of that, just because there's so many boutiques around the nation and around the world. And so I think, you know, early on, it looks like us selling through our website and a lot of these small boutiques. Um, but later on, it does look like us getting into that larger more big box luxury retail. It's just that for us, it makes sense to do that a lot later because while it is a great channel to reach a lot of people, it's a lot to keep up with. Um, we don't have that control over how somebody is going to experience our brand. And so I wanna make sure that we're really ready um, so that when we do it, we do it right. Awesome. And 
Kata, why don't you just take us back a little bit to, um, you know, I know you had mentioned when we were talking offline about like when you actually got the idea for it and when you actually wanted to get started. So why don't you take us back a little bit to um, business school? How did the idea of it come about and what were like your first actionable steps in terms of evaluating the idea and then actually deciding, okay, this is the one I want to pursue. And, and, you know, what were some of those first steps you actually took? That's a good question. Well, I didn't come in thinking that I wanted to found a startup. So it wasn't like I want to do a startup. What's my idea going to be? Uh, I came in with this idea of like, I'm going to do consulting because that's what most people do. So I, I did a consulting internship that was full time. I also did a part time VC internship because, um, you know, I found a way to get that. And everyone loved this idea of early stage VC. And I thought, sounds super cool. Let me do it all. It was not a great idea. Did not really sleep much. But um, at the beginning of that summer, I'd started talking with my sister about this idea for Aspen Apothecary, and I was really passionate about it. And so um, I got a grant from, from Harvard to start working on it. And I think the idea really came from a few things. It has come from this long-term obsession, I guess, with scent. Um, my mom would always tell my sister and me the story about visiting Tunisia and smelling midnight blooming jasmine for the first time. And that happened in 1984. But uh, the way she talks about walking into this garden at night and seeing these white flowers and smelling this incredible smell, like that part of the story is always the same. And so I just think scent is like an incredible medium for our emotions. And then I've always used, you know, essential oils and Palo Santo and all of these kind of like, I don't know what you want to call it, kind of out there scent experiences um, as a form of self-care. But the kind of catalyst to doing something was talking with my sister and realizing that although she had switched a lot of her cosmetics and skincare to brands that she felt like aligned with her values and that um, said a lot of no's to ingredients in their products, when it came to fragrance, she didn't have that option. So instead of, she just stopped wearing it. And so we thought like somebody needs to do something. And then I thought, why not me? Why not us? And so that's kind of our journey uh, to, to starting um, Aspen Apothecary. I, you know, actually I was doing a, this reminds me of a meditation that I was doing recently and, you know, I'm not trying to get all, all ayahuasca hippie here, but I was, I loved, I loved me some good guided meditations. And uh, this one meditation was talking about, you know, remember, it was saying, remember a really good moment that you've had in your life. And then it, it went down the, you know, the rabbit hole of like, remembered you know, obviously what it looked like, but then what it, what that moment, like what it smelled like, your surroundings and just, you know, scents just have, are more than just a tangible product. You know, they have an emotional attachment. Um, and so I, I think that um, it, it's, it's a product that for sure you can, you can, you know, be really passionate about because um, it, it, it can remind you of certain, create memories that, that last too. And, and that stays with you, which is really different than a product that you might just consume once and, and it ends there. Mm -hmm. I totally agree. And there's actually like uh, a lot of, not a lot, but some science uh, and studies being done on kind of like this idea and the tie between scent and memory and health and kind of how you can even train yourself to, if you smell something and to your point, it's like a really important memory for you. And then you try not to smell it for maybe a year or so, then you smell it again a year later, it can really help you kind of bring back that memory. So I agree, like there's this world of, of cool scent things that's yet to be unlocked. And it's also really cool from a business standpoint when you're looking at it because you have a product that 
is inherently in intangible. So like the way you have to describe it is different. The way you have to market is different. But then when you actually encounter the product, it has this really, you know, tangible and powerful feeling that you were talking about, but it's just so different than being able to, um, you know, it's just a totally different category. So it's, it's really cool to think about like how you actually innovate in this space and leverage like smell as, as a platform to build, build a business. I was going to ask, how do you keep that consistent, you know, the, the smell has to be really consistent in every single product. And, you know, coming from craft, you see the volumes that companies process products at. Um, and at the beginning, I assume, you know, you're making and packaging your own scents, if I'm correct. How, do you, how did you keep that consistency um, if you had it, you know, when you had it at, at low scale? Um, and actually, how did you produce your first units? Yeah, so the first units um, Harvard helped me produce because of the grant that they gave me. Uh, I got in touch with a manufacturer uh, through the grapevine, a lot of kind of asking around because the fragrance industry is a little bit um, mysterious and closed off. So a lot of asking around and I got put in touch with a really great manufacturer that we use um, in New York. And they are also uh, have our perfumer there. And so I don't actually create the sense uh, I create, I'm like the nose, I would call it. So I have this idea for a scent and I know that I want it to have Palo Santo and I know I want it to have juniper berry and bergamot and all these things, but I don't know how that's going to come together. So I have to create this weird uh, kind of creative brief of all of these things. I want the scent to evoke um, in you um, and in me. And then I hand that off to the perfumer who is like half kind of chemist, half alchemist and like artist and they do all of that work and we iterate together. So each kind of um, iteration I smell, I say like, maybe it's too lemony this time. And can we tone that down until we get it just right? And all the time, like all the while they're taking notes on this, taking notes so that they've written it down almost, you know, like, like a formula for math or something. And so then they actually produce that. And that's a whole long process of the, the fragrance production process. But we produce our fragrances in the U.S. just because I wanted to have more oversight on what happens and, um, I, I think that I wanted to prove that great fragrances can be made in the U.S. So we manufactured 500 units, which is very, very small compared to, you know, a lot of the big, big fragrance houses out there. But it was enough for us to um, put something out there, get feedback, um, know that what we're, we were creating was resonating with, with folks. And so that's kind of how I went about it. And what was the process for you to find that partner? Um, can you walk me through, you know, how long did it take you? Uh, because I think this is really valuable for people that are trying to start a company because you hear a lot the stories of like, I was packaging everything in my kitchen and I was baking the cookies and I was shipping them out. Um, but you know, that's not the only way, like you can't, you can find partners at, at low volume. So, uh, what was your process like to find this, this initial partner? Yeah, so our initial partner is called Delvia Doe. It's a family-owned business. They're in the Bronx in New York. So I live in New York, so very close by. Um, but it took me a long time to find them because um, they've been around for a little while and they have a lot of long-standing clients and customers. So they don't really need a lot of new business um, and they don't advertise to get any new business. So uh, it was me being in this program put on actually by a, another clean beauty brand called Tower 28 where it was a, 
a program, like a mentorship program for 10 uh, black beauty brands. And I was the only beauty brand that was like pre-product. So I came in there with my little MVP of something that I had mixed together. Totally, you know, shouldn't put that on anybody's skin. And I said like, yeah, that's our MVP. So I need help finding uh, somebody who's going to make something for me. And through that program, um, I had a mentor and I asked her for like connections and recommendations. And I called lots of people, reached out to lots of people on LinkedIn, asked other people for recommendations if they had heard of this manufacturer, um, asked about other manufacturers and finally um, had a call with with this partner and just felt like um, they appreciated my vision and they were willing to work with us, even though we were small, um, because they liked the idea of where we were going. And I loved that they were a family owned business as well. Um, and I, yeah, that was kind of the process. And I felt like, um, because they'd been around so long, also, they were really familiar with a lot of the regulatory and compliance things. And so I didn't have to worry about that just because I wanted to make sure that whatever I'm selling and, and goes onto somebody's skin, cause it's fragrance. So it's touching your skin that I can feel good about. Um, and so for me, that was really important that we manufactured it. Um, because I think one thing I also learned at craft. Um, craft Heinz is that like consumer trust. It takes a long time to build it, but only one thing to break it. And so I, I wanted to make sure we were doing it right from the outset. And Kato, once you actually started or to produce, what what stage were you in? Because I know you were starting this and launching this during business school. So what what year were you? What uh, you know? What other classes were you kind of juggling? And how long did that like ramp up period sort of take? Yeah, hmm. I like can't even remember. I know it was my second year of business school out of two. Um, because my first year I wasn't really focused on entrepreneurship. So it was my second year and I did um a lot of coursework around like entrepreneurial things. So I did like entrepreneurial sales or something like that. Um and I did some independent um studies that allowed me to work on the startup, which were really helpful. I took a class that was about scaling minority businesses where we partnered with um local businesses in the Boston area and I met a professor who's now an investor, Jeff Buskang, which was cool, um, but tried to focus a lot of my coursework around enabling me to learn things that I could um, use uh, during my startup. And so uh, I don't remember how long it took, but I just remember it was a lot of long hours and a lot of saying no to a lot of social things, which I feel like business school is all about the social things. So I lost track of time a little bit. And then, so while you're in business school, is you were you were delivered your first batch? Like when were, were you still in school when that came through? Ah, yes, I was actually. So that helps me with the timeline. So this in the summer is when I did that program and I started talking to the manufacturer in December, the end of December. I remember actually because it was when every like shipping thing was out of whack was when we opened our website at the end of December because some people had asked us. We had this little you know Instagram where we would post every so often and. Um, People asked us, when is the product coming? I'd like to give it as Christmas gifts. And I was like, I don't really know if we can promise it as Christmas gifts. So I'll let you know when the website opens. And so it opened on December 21st. Uh, we shipped out a few things that got there in time for Christmas, a few things that did not get there in time for Christmas. Um, and that's how that went. And so we, you know, continued to sell through, I guess, the spring of um, that year and into the fall of this one. And we've sold through the 500 units, you know, both through wholesale orders like gifting, um, through boutiques, and then through our website. And and when it actually came time to say, okay, like we're we're moving this forward, and now let's put up a digital storefront. Like, what what did you guys use? Like, how did you go build a website? Where where did you go? What platform did you use? What was the process around that? 
I think uh, a lot of learnings there. So we use Squarespace and um, in the future, we'll be transitioning to Shopify just because there are a lot of great integrations for um, small businesses on Shopify or like e-commerce businesses. But we use Squarespace because I love that you can make a beautiful layout. So uh, we did that and we spent a lot of time. It was my sister and me at the, at that time. And so spent a lot of time arguing about what the right pictures were, what the right words were, because we had never done this. And so it was all just opinions um, and ended up coming up with this website. I think the part that was most important about our website that we did really right is um, on the product page, we had these um, scent stories, I like to call them, that accompany each fragrance. And so basically we tell you the fragrance notes, which means like, oh, it's going to have, you know, cardamom in it and a uh, fig, but also here's a story that, and some pictures that help you get in the mindset of what it's going to feel like when you wear this fragrance. And we found that that really resonated with people. And so that's something that even as we move on to kind of like a, an actual brand launch and reimagine some of our brand, that part is definitely going to stay the same because um, we got so much positive feedback from that. What, what was the process like to gather that feedback, to prove that out and know that this is something that really resonated with people? Yeah, a lot of asking, doing some um, customer calls and surveys. So asking people to respond to surveys, some do, some don't. And then asking some of those who responded to say, would you mind hopping on a call? Um, but then additionally, some came unsolicited because uh, somebody would just buy the product and then or they were gifted the product and then they would email us um, saying that they loved that part of the website or could they become a wholesale client because they smelled this fragrance on their friend and they love this idea. They went to our website, read these stories and could they buy something from us? So that's kind of how it went. And and then the other question I'd have, Kata, is when your your first like batch of sales, right? Like were you were you doing anything else on the local side to complement um, your your digital storefront launch? So um, were you doing any events in Boston or like, how are you like getting products into, let's call it the first cut for hundred customers hands? Literally word of mouth. Um, I think that was the biggest learning. So I would say that what we did was kind of like throwing spaghetti at the wall, right? We, we manufactured this thing. We put this website together. We had some ideas from some initial um, surveys that we'd done. And we did a lot of research around like the fragrance industry and learning that obviously. Um, but we really just opened the website and ha and created this little Instagram, didn't have many photos because we were actually applying all the labels to the packaging. So we weren't doing the manufacturing, the fragrance, but we we're doing all the labeling for the packaging, the boxing, all that stuff ourselves. Um, and so it really was just opening the website and hoping that people would come, which is not a strategy. But I think what was important from that is seeing if what we had to say resonated with anybody. Um, and I think we found that it did because we got picked up in some news outlets. And so I think that was really cool because everything that happened was organic. And I think, you know, as we think about our strategy later, obviously some is going to be organic, some is going to be paid, right? But we want the story itself to resonate with people first because we can't just push money behind something that doesn't work. And so to see, um, that it was something that my classmates were interested in, that they told their sister or friend or whatever, and that random people in Seattle that I've never met were buying our product. Um, that was a pretty cool, cool experience to have. I'm curious on those first orders, like what was your 
what was your process of collecting the money or say tech stack you know say you know if you were selling a few units in person would you tell people hey go on our go on my website and buy it i'll give you the product or here's the product i trust you to go on my website and buy it or were you taking cash um like or were you sending an invoice you know because sometimes if you have an instagram you could just like hey Venmo me um so what 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 was that process like I think I'm not that trusting, you know, um, maybe I could have been like, Hey, here's a product, <laughs> give me the money. But I was no, that's so the right cheap thing and to I do. was like, I'm yeah. on your student loan. So no, um, you can buy this product. That's so right. I would, <laughs> either people would go through our website and purchase, um, for wholesale customers. I learned how to, you know, put together an invoice. Luckily at Carnival, I had, you know, wholesale retailers and vendors and stuff that I worked with. So found some cheap or free software because I was all about the very cheap stuff, especially at the early stage. And if somebody wanted to buy, I would give them a link to where they could go directly to the website and or yeah, to the checkout and not have to pay for shipping if I was going to give it to them in person. Um, but that happened not a ton, I would say. Um, one thing that was a big learning for us is our first SKU had CBD in it. And um, you know, there aren't a lot of payment processors that work with CBD. And so that was a really big learning curve. And actually the checkout experience wasn't great um, because you needed to go from Squarespace to a square store um, where you could actually check out. So it totally wasn't like this beautiful, seamless thing. Um, but I realized that not very many people dropped off between the the intent to check out and buying since these were like the first people who were very excited about this product. They were going to if they wanted to buy it, they were going to buy it. Yeah, and and Kata, so from there, right? Like you're you're in business school, you're obviously selling this, but like you were saying, you've also started now to raise some money for this concept. And obviously when you're raising money, there there's gotta be a, a vision behind not just where we're at now, but where the company's going. So um I guess how did you apply, you know, some of your business school learnings and those sort of frameworks into um you know, the company mission and where you want, where you can, where you see this going in the future? Hmm, I think that's a good question. In terms of frameworks, I think it's more things I learned to be cautious of and look out for. So for example, in our class that was focused a lot around entrepreneurship and venture capital, um, I thought a lot about how to iterate quickly and learn quickly. So how can I test something um, and get some feedback and move on from that? I think that's one piece that was really important. A second piece is thinking about and realizing that some fundraises take a short amount of time, some take a long time, and that you need to be structured with that and have a way that you can follow up. And I think uh, my sales class taught me that a lot is thinking about how basically you can like build a CRM for yourself and that was focused on SaaS sales, but really it's a similar thing when you're thinking about investors of what's my list of my target investors, what information do I have about them? When have I reached out? When am I going to reach out again? Um, and what else would I say? Hmm. I think what, what um, were some a big of those piece... learnings that oh, of things mm -hmm. that didn't work that you had to change? Mm -hmm. uh, because as you mentioned, you know, one of the key things is you have to listen to the feedback, and sometimes you see patterns in the feedback, and you have to adapt. So, did you ever have to change or adapt anything throughout the process? Oh yes, and I'm sure, like I don't even remember how many things I've changed and adapted. Some things I've obviously written down and taken note of. Um, but I think one thing that in the fundraising process especially didn't work was me being too humble. 
So um, I come from, my mom is a Jamaican immigrant and she is very in the like, we, we did this. We, you know, together we rise, together we can do this. And that was how I spoke about myself a lot. Um, and I learned that I have to be more of a salesperson. And so taking that feedback of everyone asking me, for example, why should it be you or why are you confident that you can do this? And instead saying, look, I have this experience from CPG. I have this experience in general management and I'm excited for what I'm building. So kind of preempting that, that's one example of taking feedback that at first really kind of hurt and felt personal and, and realizing um, if it's a pattern, I got to change it if I, if I want to keep on doing this. So I think that's just one piece of feedback. Um, the second piece of feedback is uh, around our socials. So um, I don't come from a, like a, managing any like social channels of background um, at, at, excuse me, at Carnival. I did manage our Facebook ads just because I took everything into my own hands <laughs> um, for our wedding business. So I did do that, but I didn't have a lot of experience like prior. And our Instagram, we posted very infrequently. And I would say that was a very humbling channel to realize that you can't grow if you're inauthentic. And if you don't have content that's like not meaningful to you or your followers to post. And so I think that feedback or lack of kind of engagement there taught us a lot about um, how we're going to engage going forward. And when we think about the bigger branding strategy that we're kind of going through now, um, a lot of learnings from there are kind of um, impacting and informing that. And then if you had to just kind of characterize, um, like from where you sit now and how you're like, how are you thinking about the broader go-to-market of um, of Aspen, right? Like you, like you were saying, here's some of the learnings that we've had thus far in terms of, you know, having to be authentic, um, you know, we're going to focus on this channel first. But, um, you know, if you if you had to just characterize and talk about like how, how you're thinking about go-to-market from where you sit now to call it the next year, what, what does that look like in your head? Yeah, I think leading up to the next year, um, success looks like uh, a strong brand launch. So um, as we talked about, we kind of just opened our website and saw what happened, right? So it wasn't a lot of um, active doing. A lot of our previous things were on the learning about the industry, making sure we were understanding um, kind of how things worked, how you could, you know, just a very basic, basic. Um, and now going forward, it looks like uh, a brand launch. And at that brand launch, it looks like us having been able to um, create some sort of demand generation come out with a line of products. So we have two formulated, we're working on a third. We'd like to have five fragrances formulated, but at least three. So it looks like having a suite of products. Um, it looks like having um, that tech stack, um, Ramon, that you mentioned, um, all aligned. I've spent a lot of time kind of asking other founders what worked for them, um, getting on calls with some of those companies to understand what they provide. So having everything aligned and ready to go um, and doing it. For me, I think execution is extremely important in the early stage of a startup. And so um, success looks like everything going according to plan or as close to plan as possible. And kind of that year out looks like us um, having that successful brand launch, having our evangelical kind of first customers, right? Um, making sure that we're getting consistent feedback from them and that what we're doing is right. So that way we can think about what that next growth stage looks like and um, we can get ready for a larger retail. So that kind of looks like um, a successful year. So I assume one of the things that you're preparing for or, you know, that you mentioned earlier, is that why you're doing the transition to Shopify? Yes, exactly. We, we want to make sure that we can we can be ready. Shopify has so many cool um, add-ins that you can use from, for example, um, Super great, the app where you can collect uh, content from like 
let's call it nano influencers, you can then use Shopify to have that on your website. Um, same with some other like social selling things like sell with Amy, but then also um, in terms of just the back end and managing like inventory, they're not so great with, but um, most other things they're really good with. And so I'm excited that, for example, to to get um, customer reviews, it's a lot easier on Shopify to use some of the plugins um, that they offer. So I'm, I'm excited about that switch for sure. And you'll see a revamped website with some revamped branding assets and everything like that. And I think a channel that we're going to really um, focus on leaning into is email, um, just because I think you can collect a lot of information and directly connect um, with people who are your consumers and people who aren't yet your consumers. And so I'm excited to really lean into that um, gearing up to launch as well. And then Cato, um, my next question would be in terms of like, um, so you're obviously, you're, you guys are going to be doing a transition to Shopify and you're experimenting and testing out all these things, iterating product really quickly. But what are some of the, for, for a founder like you, that's at this stage, what are some of the resources and how do you like, how do you like learn to, to do all these things? I know you said you, you know, you chat with other founders, but like as the, at this stage of your company, like what are some of the resources you rely on and how do you constantly like up your game and prep for the next stage that's ahead? Hmm, that's a great question. I feel like I'm learning every day. Um, so I make sure that in terms of industry stuff, I'm always reading some publication, some report, some study, asking to get my hands on one that's not, you know, free um, and trying to make sure that I keep building my network of people within the fragrance industry, just because I feel like it's so easy to get to this plateau where you think you know a lot about something and you realize like you really don't know much. And so I try to continue um, every day, whether it's smelling new fragrances, getting testers of um, other brands, just every, just making sure that I'm continuing my frag fragrance education is very important for me. But in terms of things that are more applicable to um, founders in general, I would say um, I'm always looking for what the free resources are. So for example, if there's a way to get pro bono legal help, um, we've done that. So I would say like, I hate to use the word scrappy, uh, you know, but trying to figure out all those ways you can get your hands on discounted resources is great. For example, for founders, um, DocSend is what I use to send out our pitch deck. Not very novel, but Main Street um, has a discount code for DocSend. So like that would be a great perk. Um, Carta has a free plan if you raise under $2 million. So when you're raising and you're thinking about how you're going to structure your cap table, that's been a really great asset. Um, I think just, yeah, making sure that I have my ducks in a row through I one thing I don't I'm not cheap on is QuickBooks. Um, that was something that hurt me inside. I was using a free one, which was fine. Um, but when it came to making sure that I have everything aligned, QuickBooks is something I was like, you know what, I'm just gonna pay up. So that's something I would say if you're a founder, like think about where you can be cheap and where it doesn't make sense to be cheap. You know, on that front, how important for an e-commerce company, especially in the early days, what cash flow is, um, you know, managing your income statements, your P&Ls, you know, it often takes founders by surprise how by, you know, financing inventory works, how financing your ads and, you know, what is your um, lifetime value of a customer and like, what's your payback period on that marketing spend? Uh, and so... You know, what are some tips you have for founders who are just, you know, getting their first 
five thousand ten thousand dollars or even a thousand dollars in sales like how to prepare to what is a good stack or or anything they should know to properly prepare to understanding how their cash flow is going to work and how to not make some of the early mistakes there I think I'm also pretty early, so you should check back and see. But um, no, I think that my experience around craft times is like very helpful for for that um, understanding that. Yeah, you're. Uh, for example, say you sell something right to a big grocery store, like they might return half of the order, and you just got to be able to deal with it. And that's super important because even if the product you're creating is profitable, right? Maybe um, to your point, you're going to get stretched. So I think what I would think about is a way to get a sense of what those most important kind of metrics to track are. And for people with products, right, it's going to be like your sales, how much your product costs, um, how long it takes you to, to make it. To your point, how when you're getting paid, are you getting paid directly because it's a sale that's through e-commerce? Are you getting paid 30, 60 days, 90 days later? Um, and... I would say one thing that was important for me is because I had that background of like at least managing a PNL, um, some of the basic metrics I wasn't as afraid of, some of the other ones like an LTV of a customer like that, I, I don't know, right? And so I think I focused a lot on the early stages of trying to know everything I could. But honestly, um, I think if I just would have kept focusing on the like cost, um, the the price and are people interested in what I'm doing and do I have a sense that if this works out like I could afford to do it quarter by quarter I think that was the most important piece because otherwise there's so many metrics that you can always track and as we you know get further into our process they're going to be important but I think doing is so so important and so um, I would say to try to have that healthy balance of making sure you get in that you get used to having a cadence of checking your metrics um, every day or every week but that you make sure that you're spending time on the business strategy side as well so that um, the business can continue to grow if, if everything is profitable. I, I agree. Look, there's so many terminologies when it comes to that, that it can be and sound overwhelming. And you need to be careful. You don't want to go down the rabbit hole of endlessly learning. Um, it's like marketing, right? Like there's always opportunities to optimize and optimize and optimize. And yeah. <laughs> um, you forget to actually do. But, you know, I think uh, you, you don't have to necessarily know if you haven't ran a PNL before. You don't necessarily have to know how to run a PNL, but at least the basics of the terminology can help so much. Um, I remember I was looking at Shopify's Academy at one point, really back in the day, and they have a free academy that just explains you know the terminology so if what is an income statement? What is a PL? What is a balance sheet? Um, and so I think, you know, getting a step ahead on those things is, is really valuable. But I agree with you. Nothing is more important than doing and selling. And you know, most of the times you'll figure out the rest after. Um, it's harder to do the opposite. Mm, I agree. And I, I love you're pointing out like you can find resources in so many places. And the last thing I would say is just like asking people for help. Um, that's something that's been so incredibly helpful that I don't have a format for, but through my network from my undergrad and through business school and literally through LinkedIn and kind of like reading articles, um, people really want to help. And so I think don't be scared to reach out. For example, if you have a friend in finance and you've not dealt with a PL before, like reach out to them because maybe they can explain it to you in half an hour and it would have taken you five hours to try to understand it by yourself. So I think um, reaching out to people is, is a big one that has worked for me and that I always have to remind myself to continue to do because I'm introverted, but it's very, very useful.
Hey, I'm I'm a bit introverted myself, and I never thought I'd be two hundred, almost two hundred episodes deep talking to <laughs> to founders. <laughs> so never say never. You just don't know. Sometimes introverts have to come have to come out of the shell. That's awesome. Yeah, and um, so Kate, as as we kind of wrap up here, the last question that I'd have in in terms of. Um, you know, getting the company off the ground is like one thing that you alluded to is um, actually like putting a round together and like funding that first, um, you know, the first portion of the company. So that's something that you've been able to bring on some investors for. So, um, you know, are there any learnings or like, how were you thinking about putting the round together? And how did things actually come, um, come together in order to give you the, uh, you know, give you the the whole idea that okay this is working and now we're going to actually be able to take this into a serious like build a serious company from from the ground up Mm, yeah i think that's been a really big learning experience um i i think that i had this mindset that because i went to harvard the world would be my oyster and i think it's afforded me a lot of great opportunities but it doesn't do the work for you and so that was a really really big um kind of humbling moment that as a founder, there is a lot of money floating around, but especially when you're doing something that's a little bit more product-based and in the brand space, there's less money floating around and the risk appetite is just a bit different. So there is money, but it's uh, often later stage and not really in these early stages, um, especially in this last, like, let's say year and a half. Um, So that risk appetite has definitely changed from investors. And so I think that was like something I really needed to wrap my head around. And I think, Something that I've got more more confident in is this idea that if somebody passes, uh, it's not often personal. Now, if somebody does all the due diligence, right, and then uh, and then they pass, maybe it's a little personal. But um, not every idea is for everyone. Just like you might like different shoes than I like, and that's just life. Um, I, I think that's been a big learning. And then I think um, realizing that my network is powerful also has been a big learning. So the first people who um, said they were going to write me a check were I was on a scholarship at Dartmouth, kind of through financial aid, and it was a named scholarship. They were my scholarship donors. I got coffee with um, the husband of the couple when he was visiting New York. And he's like, hey, um, heard you were working on this startup. Are you raising money? Like, we probably want to give you some money um, and invest in you. And I was like, oh, uh, okay, let me get my stuff together. Like, let me get a deck together. And so realizing that people who know you, who have seen kind of the work that you've done and what you've put in might believe in you and might want to support that journey and be part of it with you. I think that's been a really cool learning for me. Um, and uh, I think also turning no's into yeses has also been a, a big learning from me. Some people um, like my professor, Jeff Buskin, who's awesome, I think don't really invest, for example, in consumer typically. And so that's not something um, they, that's not his wheelhouse, right? He's like this great tech investor. And um, through you know, speaking with him over this year and asking him for help and um, reaching out time and time time again, um, I think that I proved the value proposition of, of what I'm doing. And so now I've turned that, you know, that maybe I want to be your advocate into actually I want to be an investor and an advocate. And so um, I think just learning that it doesn't fall, like doesn't follow a formula has been a big learning for me and being okay with that and just keeping on pressing has been like the the biggest learning of all yeah I, I think the one thing that really stands out to me um in our conversation is just your your persistence and how important of a characteristic that is 
for entrepreneurs of every stage, but especially in the early stages, right? Like in the later stages, you're going to have all these people who support you and, and, you know, all these name brands behind you, et cetera, et cetera. But at the early stage, the only person you really have is yourself and you have to just be relentless and persistent to get, like you're saying, even turn no into yes. And, and just, you know, don't leave any stone unturned and go after all the opportunities that you have in front of you. So I think that's a really, really important piece of feedback for early, early founders, especially in, um, you know, the D to C CPG, you know, product sort of landscape. I think, you know, um, and one thing I love too, is the fact that, you know, as you mentioned, like, you know, Jefferson is a really big tech investor, but, um, and, and you know, your, you might, your business might not be there yet at the stages he's at, but that didn't stop you because the worst thing that can happen is that you can get really high quality feedback. And clearly from what you mentioned earlier, you know how to turn that feedback into improvements, um, on your pitch on whatever it is you need. So, um, kudos, kudos for that. Thank you. Thank you. So, yeah. So what's next for Aspen? Um, you know, now you're doing the, the rebrand, um, and you're, you're launching a new website. You are getting ready to hopefully, you know, sell out just as fast as not if not faster your next batch of of inventory so so what's on the books for aspen yeah my grand vision is to create this fragrance centric self-care like brand platform let's call it um basically uh our products will be fragrance focused um but I think more important is the experience that I want to provide to everyone um the reason I love scent so much is that like it's this it's within beauty, but it's the only thing that doesn't change how you look like that can change how you feel. Um, and I just think there's something so powerful in that because I, I just wish that we could all like lean into who we are and appreciate ourselves for who we are. And so what's next is me continuing to build this brand into, you know, hopefully an empire and really getting um alignment with those first customers of ours and making sure that we're creating things that they that they want and that resonate with them and that we're creating a space for them as well to feel valued um, since that was at the essence of kind of why we started this in the first place. And so hopefully that means a great launch and continuing to raise more money, um, building a profitable brand because I'm all about profit. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think that's what's next and hoping that, um, you know, we attract some really cool people to come on board as we grow as well, because um, to have a great company and a great brand, you need a great team. And so that comes in many different formats, but I think that's what's, um, you know, if my, if I had my vision board or something like that, that's what would be on it. Yeah, that's, that's amazing to hear Kate. And, and it sounds like what you guys are working on so far has been awesome. We love learning about your story to date. Um, the other things I'd say, it's like, Next time you you make it down to Miami, um, you know, to check in with the Carnival team, come say what's up. We'd love to have you on the podcast in person and and kind of follow along um, this journey beyond just you know the initial launch. Okay, so then where do we go next? So we're really excited to stay tuned into the journey. And then the last question would just be for any of our listeners who are listening, um, where can they find out uh, more about you? Where can they find and connect with you as well as Aspen Apothecary the brand? Sure. Um, yes, to Miami. Since, you know, we talked about how we both, I lived there, you guys live there. So like, that's would be very fun. Um, but Aspen Apothecary, we're on Instagram at aspen.apothecary. 
or our website is aspen-apothecary.com. You can find a place to email us there, reach out. Um, I love getting feedback, thoughts, comments, um, and I'm on LinkedIn too. That's probably the best place. I'm not very active on Twitter. So LinkedIn, um, which is, you know, KWW, I think uh, I am there. So reach out to me there if you have thoughts, questions, um, you know, you want to connect me with somebody who's doing something cool in this space. Um, always love to talk. Awesome. Well, KDOT, kudos for being so transparent with our community and kudos for taking the leap into entrepreneurship. And uh, we're excited for your journey. So that's it. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. This has been really fun. Awesome. See you guys. Bye.